0: Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show, you can help me out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also help out the show by sharing it with anybody you know or on your social media. So I'm glad to be back and have a good show for everybody. We're gonna talk about a few interesting companies that had some good readouts this past little while as well as ones that are upcoming. So we're going to start by talking about Axome Therapeutics and their readout in Alzheimer's disease agitation We're then going to move on and talk about Gilead and all the updates we saw with their remdesivir trials. And then we're going to talk about another company that has some COVID-related work going on, which is Regeneron. And I usually don't talk about mid-large cap biotech, but Regeneron is is an interesting one, especially because I touched on their main compound, ILEA, in previous videos. So I thought I'd do kind of a deeper look into them. And we're going to talk about that in, in big detail. So with that, let's just get right to it. And the first topic I wanna to mention is axome Therapeutics. So they're a company that saw a huge run up in 2019 with the development of their drug, AXS05, which is a combination of dextromethorphan and Welbutrin. And they've already seen positive readouts in major depressive disorder with this compound, as well as a couple of other ones. And they saw mixed results with treatment-resistant depression, but I think they're going to move forward with some trials anyway to confirm that data. But what they also wanted to to look at, and this is the data that I'm presenting here, is the effect of AXS05 in Alzheimer's disease agitation. So one of the symptoms associated with Alzheimer's disease is this agitation that comes along with it. And it, it occurs in around 70% of all patients. So that works out to about 6 million people in the USA. So it's a pretty huge indication and one that I didn't really look at in, in a serious capacity before I took a position because I was, originally playing for that treatment-resistant depression, but I think the stock had a lot of potential besides that. So we saw a readout this week that showed a significant improvement in this CMAI total score in patients treated with AXS05 compared to both bupropion, which is Wellbutrin, or placebo. And bupropion on its own didn't have a substantial effect on Alzheimer's disease agitation. It was only when it was mixed with dextromethorphan in AXS05 that it saw this improvement. So this is very beneficial for the stock. I think it opened on that day, you know, upwards of 100 and change and then it fell back down and I think it closed this week at 90, but very positive for the company and they need to discuss with the FDA how they're gonna move forward and whether or not this is gonna be considered a pivotal trial for them. So we might see some insights in their Q1 earnings call, which is taking place on May 8th, but It's definitely impressive for the company, and this one molecule is going to be a huge revenue driver for them once they get those filings through and get approval. So that's Axone Therapeutics, and I'm still holding on to the 30 shares that I bought. So let's talk about Gilead and their drug Remdesivir that's been investigated right now for the treatment of COVID-19. And the importance around Remdesivir has less to do with Gilead specifically and more to do with how it's going to be implemented in the hospital system and prevent them from being overburdened as states kind of revamp up their economies again. Because if remdesivir has an effect and it lowers the time in which patients need to be in the hospital, the chances of the hospital system being overburdened reduces substantially since we can, you know, get these patients in and get them out quicker. So that's why remdesivir is so important. And we saw originally they that Gilead published a study with regards to the compassionate use only of remdesivir, and that was only a single-armed study that didn't have really great conclusions to be drawn from, but since then we've seen results from four studies, and I'm going to talk about these in some detail because we heard that Dr. Fauci uh, announced that there were significant results and that they're going to move forward and approve remdesivir for COVID-19, and we also heard on Friday that Trump is going to uh, announce the approved use of remdesivir for this. So the four studies that we got results for are this China study that was published in The Lancet, and this was an underpowered study. So they weren't able to find enough patients to enroll in this study, so they just took the data, canned the study, and published it in The Lancet. The next one is this NIAID study that was also a randomized placebo-controlled trial, And then there were two phase threes that Gilead did called the simple studies. And this was to compare the 10 day treatment versus the five day treatment. And the reason why they did this, I believe is because they don't really have the commercial capacity to produce unlimited remdesivir. So if they can show that the treatment of remdesivir works just as well with a five day treatment, they can save more doses for more patients. Let's first talk about the China study, which was published in the Lancet a little while ago. And this was a randomized placebo controlled trial in severe COVID-19 patients. And just to note that this was underpowered. So despite the fact that they did statistics on it, there weren't enough patients to really get the power that they were looking for from the outset. And what we see here is that patients treated with remdesivir were more likely to die if you look at this Kaplan-Meier curve. And the hazard ratio was 1.23, which means that if you were treated with remdesivir you had kind of a 23% increased risk of dying. The other chart that I'm showing here is the viral loads. So one thing that I was hopeful to see is that remdesivir at least had an effect on viral loads. And the one thing to note though is that these samples were taken only from the nasopharynx and the oropharynx. So that's kind of your nose area and your throat, but not your lungs. So there's a chance that there would have been a significant difference if swabs were taken or if they did some kind of lavage to get samples from the lung and see whether or not remdesivir had an effect on viral loads in, in that capacity. The study also looked at length of hospital stay and that was also not significant in this study, although the safety was actually okay. So that's one positive outcome from all this, but given that this study was underpowered, we need to take these results with a grain of salt, But It's not super encouraging that remdesivir has no profound effect in these patients specifically, but they also went ahead and did this NIAID study. So if we look at that study, they looked at 1,063 patients, and these were hospitalized COVID-19 patients, so still in the severe range. And here's what the press release said. Preliminary results indicate that patients who received remdesivir had a 31% faster time to recovery than those who received placebo. And the p-value here is less than 0.001. Specifically, the median time to recovery was 11 days for patients treated with remdesivir compared with 15 days for those who received placebo. Results also suggested a survival benefit with a mortality rate of 8% for the group receiving remdesivir versus 11.6% for the placebo group. And the p-value here was 0.059. So this is the study that I think Dr. Fauci was referring to, saying that there was a significant benefit to remdesivir treatment. And I definitely see a benefit if this is the difference in the time to recovery. The survival didn't have a significant effect, but even if there isn't a significant survival benefit, if there is a benefit to the time to recovery, I still think that that is profound and will be able to help the burdening of the hospital system, which is what I was referring to earlier in, in the talk. So we still haven't seen a lot of details in this study. Some stuff that I'd love to see are the viral loads. I'd love to look at the safety to see more details in, in the effects that remdesivir had. So we don't really know exactly what's going on, but this is the study that I think the U.S. government is looking at to say whether or not it is a, uh, a drug with an effect that will be rolled out into the, into the country. And it looks like that's going to happen even before we are going to see the details of that study, but it is what it is. And then the last studies I wanted to talk about are these simple studies from Gilead. And this is an open label trial that looked at a five-day treatment or a 10-day treatment. And the results are that the study demonstrated that patients receiving a 10-day treatment course of remdesivir achieved similar improvement in clinical status compared with those taking a five-day treatment course. And the odds ratio here is 0.75 with a 95% confidence interval of 0.51 to 1.12 on day 14. So this is good news. It shows that they only need to treat remdesivir for five days, and it's going to be not significantly different than if they treated with 10 days. And we've been seeing a lot about Gilead having around a a million doses of remdesivir before the end of the year. So given that only a five-day treatment is needed, they're going to be able to save remdesivir for more patients. And that's a good thing because, like I said, I don't think Gilead expected at the beginning of the year to have to roll out the commercialization of remdesivir. But they're going to have to do that to some capacity. And in this way, they're going to be able to save some doses for a lot more people. And I I put a little note here about the safety. So grade three or higher liver enzyme ALT elevations occurred in 7.3% of patients, with 3% of patients discontinuing remdesivir treatment due to elevated liver tests. So this is kind of a negative thing that is going to affect a decent number of patients because I think a lot of the comorbidities of COVID-19 patients are issues related to their liver. So if they already have comorbidities associated with the liver, remdesivir might be contraindicated for that, and doctors are gonna have to be careful with this. So it's only 7.3% of patients, but it is something to be mindful of. And one kind of benefit of only a five-day treatment, and if you see here on the chart, uh, looking at adverse events leading to discontinuation, it was significantly higher in the 10-day treatment. And that's because patients are being exposed to the drug for longer time. And if you're exposed to the drug for a less amount of time, the odds of having an adverse event go down quite a bit. So this is another benefit to only needing a five-day treatment. And we see here that the percent of patients that had an adverse event leading to discontinuation was cut in half with only the five-day treatment. So that's another good thing. So that's the simple studies and hopefully we see a lot more data in the next little while but overall it's tough to get a real conclusion from this there's a lot to consider you know just from the outset data from china i think is suspicious from its on its face and the fact that that study was underpowered means that we should take those results with a grain of salt the NIAID study, we haven't seen a lot of details with that and the fact that the mortality wasn't significantly different. It's going to be a marginal benefit if there is any and it's good to tout a win but I think politically Dr. Fauci and the White House administration are just going to kind of roll this out and say that they did an impactful move towards getting a treatment available and even if there's not a significant improvement due to this study they're going to tout this as a win. So we've gotten a lot of readouts in the last little while, and the only stuff that's really left are the full data sets from the NIAID study and the simple studies. And then we should see some more details on the World Health Organization studies as well as studies from Inserm. So we'll wait to see that. And yeah, that's remdesivir. It's uh, it's kind of mixed results, but Gilead stock has increased substantially on this data and there's definitely like a goodwill effect that it has on the company but whether that's going to materially deliver for them i'm kind of suspicious and we'll talk a little bit about that when it comes to regeneron so another company that's been looking into uh 19 treatment is regeneron and they closed on friday at a share price of 525 dollars and 50 cents a share giving them a market cap of 57.8 billion dollars so they're in the large cap area they have net current assets of 5.59 billion and that's as of December of 2019 and their 2019 revenue was 7.8 billion which represents a 17% year-over-year growth so pretty substantial but their net income in 2019 was 2.1 billion dollars representing a decrease of 13% year-over-year so the difference in the growth of their revenue versus their net income Uh, really represents how much money they're reinvesting into the business in terms of operating expenses. So I think their operating expenses increased around 30% year over year, which just shows how much development they're doing in this company to try to get more indications and more drugs on the market. So the company's really focused on these three compounds that have been commercial successes for them. The first one is ILEA, which has been their major juggernaut for the last I don't know, decade we'll say. And they generated still $4.6 billion in revenue in 2019. But as I've mentioned in previous videos, Regeneron is gonna face significant competition from a lot of other companies who have treatments that are related to ILEA and treatments that have really nothing to do with ILEA but will have an effect in wet AMD or diabetic retinopathy. And I've talked about a few of these. Uh, Regenix Bio has a gene therapy as well as Advarum has a gene therapy. I've also talked about Kodiak Biosciences who, they don't have a gene therapy, but they have a upcoming competitor to ILEA that will supersede the need to have as many injections that ILEA requires. And we've also seen Bayovue get approved from Novartis that is a, uh, a spin-off of ILEA to some capacity that also requires fewer injections than ILEA. And Novartis has had some issues with Bayoview, but it still remains a competitor and Regeneron is going to struggle to maintain the crown in wet AMD and diabetic retinopathy. They they have a few other indications as well, but it's only a matter of time before these companies find success and overtake ILEA. So the other two compounds I'm gonna talk about in some detail in the next few slides, but Dupixent is a treatment for atopic dermatitis and Lidtio, which is a cancer drug that's also seen a lot of successes lately. So Regeneron has partnerships with Sanofi and Bayer, and The reason for these is to help with their commercialization of their products. And Sanofi has the rights to sell non-ILEA products, whereas Bayer has the rights to sell ILEA outside of the United States. So in this way, you know, Regeneron can kind of focus on what they're good at and partner with other companies that have strengths in other areas and take advantage of that. So that's been also good to Regeneron. And so as ILEA revenue is going to be peaking and declining, they're hoping to add indications and new molecules to their portfolio to replace that lost revenue. And the latest news from them really has to do with this Kevzara drug, which is an IL-6R inhibitor. And it's being repurposed for the treatment of COVID-19. But so far, they've seen a bit of stumbling blocks regarding different patient subsets. So we're going to talk about that right now. And it looks like it's not gonna be a substantial treatment for COVID-19. The drug itself, like I mentioned, is an interleukin-6 receptor antibody. And interleukin-6 correlates with poor prognosis of COVID-19. So the company posited that if they can inhibit the effects of interleukin-6, it might lead to better outcomes for patients. And the news that we heard is that an independent data monitoring committee amended the trial so that only critical patients continue to be enrolled to receive the 400 milligram dose, which is the high dose. And they've seen that there were negative treatment outcomes in the severe group. So they're only going to focus on this critical group. And the distinction here is that patients that are critical are on a mechanical or high flow oxygenation machine, or they're in an ICU to receive treatment. So only those patients are now gonna be treated. And there is a decent chance that they're gonna get a positive effect of Kevzara but given that it is a minority of patients that are in this critical distinction, it's not likely to be a big impact. But overall, it's not going to be a substantial source of revenue for Regeneron anyway, and really the benefits are going to be surrounding this goodwill that is perceived by the public as well as the regulators who are likely to have some say or have some impact on the profits of a lot of these companies. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, but that's really the the only benefit I see of getting involved in COVID-19, other than the overall benefit of having an effect on um, reopening the economy, which, of course, there's no question that that is a net benefit, uh, but in terms of direct revenue for the company, I don't really see there being a big impact. So the next catalyst we're going to expect to see is phase three results in June of 2020. So that's coming up. Now, to talk about their more classic standard drugs that they have on the market, um, one of them is LibTyo, And the recent news that we heard about that one is that it was stopped early due to a highly significant improvement as a monotherapy for first-line advanced non-small cell lung cancer. As we know, non-small cell lung cancer is a huge market, and getting a piece of that market would be a really big benefit for Regeneron. Libtaio is a pdl one drug and it's very similar to Merck's Keytruda or Tenseric or Updivo. So there's a lot of these molecules on the market right now, and Regeneron is kind of slow to have gotten this drug approved, but they're finally going to get some exposure to this market, which has been very, very lucrative for a lot of these companies. So the drug is only suitable for patients that have pdl one positivity, and this works out to about 25 to 30 percent of NSCLC cases. The effect in, in these patients was that it decreased the risk of death by 32.4% compared to chemotherapy, and this is similar to the already approved PDL1, PD1 drugs that are out there. And so, if this indication gets approved, it'll be the second indication uh, for the compound. The first one being cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, and that's a melanoma that doesn't have a lot of treatments available for it, so it is nice to see that. Libtayo is kind of being purposed to these gaps that other PD-1 drugs aren't focusing on. So that's where Libtayo is going to try and get its footing. The competitors of Libtayo already have a ton of indications approved for them, and they already have a a legacy of established trust with doctors. So I think doctors are going to be hesitant to prescribe Libtayo when they've already probably used Keytruda or Optivo already. But where LibTio is probably going to find success is in these indications that don't already have approval from a PD-1 drug. So it's already being looked at right now for basal cell carcinoma as well as cervical cancer. And we have some readouts coming out pretty soon. So I think the basal cell carcinoma one is going to be huge for the company if they do see a benefit there. And that's going to be something to watch. So moving on, Dupixin is another big drug that Regeneron has, and it's a interleukin-4 receptor alpha antagonist. And interleukin-4, as well as IL-13, have a lot of homology related to their structure. So Dupixin actually targets both of these pathways. And it has an indication right now for atopic dermatitis, asthma, and chronic rhinosinunitis. And the company's searching for a lot of other indications. So they're actively have trials for eosinophilic esophagitis, uh, COPD, as well as airborne or foodborne allergies. So the company is really focusing on getting as many indications for this drug as possible. And it looks like they have a pretty decent chance of getting there. So the Sanofi CEO actually mentioned that they're aiming to grow the drug to $10 billion in revenue per year. And I could easily see that happening, given the adoption that they've seen so far in just atopic dermatitis. So as they get other indications, it's likely that the adoption of the drug is going to be huge. So they have a few readouts from that coming up. And I think that as those readouts come out, it will be an increase to the stock as well. So the last category of therapeutics I want to talk about regarding Regeneron are the bispecifics. So bispecifics have a lot of advantages associated with them that might make them a real threat to the currently approved technology or other competitors that are in clinical trials right now. And so the one threat that bispecifics have towards established CAR-T therapies is that they may have fewer side effects. So one of the things that CAR-T is known to have is significant number of side effects, cytokine release syndrome, as well as uh, neurotoxic effects and an antibody might have fewer side effects associated with them. So that's one thing that we should be looking for when it comes to these readouts. Another thing to consider is that the overhead associated with CAR T administration, and that's just related to the treatment itself. So cells need to be pulled out of a patient, they need to be manipulated in culture, and then administered to the patient. And this costs a lot of money to the companies And if you compare that to what is gonna be associated with the bispecifics, there's gonna be significantly fewer costs. So the margins are gonna be a lot higher when it comes to an antibody treatment versus CAR-T. So that's something else to keep in mind as well. And then the other thing is the effectiveness. So if we look at RGN1979 in relapsed follicular lymphoma, they got an overall response rate of 95% with a complete response rate of 77%. That's very good. In RNR, DLBCL, they got an overall response rate of 71% and a complete response rate of 71%. And these are really small trials, but the fact that they're seeing this high number of treatment responses is pretty substantial. And in that trial specifically, it was with CAR-T naive patients. And then they're also looking at patients that have been treated with CAR-T that have failed. And in this subset of patients, they got a complete response rate of 25%, and an overall response rate of 50%. So this is pretty substantial, and if you look at their other bispecific, which is RGN, REGN5458, which has anti-CD3 and anti-BCMA, so it targets B cells as well, and here they looked at multiple myeloma, they got an overall response rate of 75%, And uh, this was in a small trial of only seven patients so it remains to be seen if these results hold true in a larger trial but definitely as these readouts come out and there's going to be a lot of them in 2020 uh, they could be a big mover for the stock because of all of those things that i've mentioned before so that's really Regeneron in a nutshell they have a lot of other programs going on and i have up here right now all of the different phase one phase two phase three trials but most of these are kind of for a smaller subset of patients. I didn't really talk about their, the impact that they're going to have in homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia. So they have a few molecules that they're going through the pipeline with that, but it's not a huge contribution to the, the company as a whole, given the small population of patients. So I don't see it as like a huge mover for the stock, but they are trying to get their feet wet in a bunch of different areas. So when it comes to regulatory approvals and submissions, the the big ones that are coming up, and I have here their calendar, and in 2020, they've got around four or five readouts or regulatory submissions that are coming up pretty soon. But I think most of them are for a really small subset of patients, except for the Libtio one, which is for basal cell carcinoma. So if we look at my overall verdict, I think that the company trading at a price of 525 today is either fairly valued or slightly overvalued. For me to take a position in the company, I would need to see the stock in kind of the low 400s or high 300s. But right now, I think that at 525 bucks, a lot of the hype associated with the company is due to the Kevzara potential in COVID-19. Now, some of the important catalysts coming up though that I think will move the stock is the basal cell carcinoma readout. And the reason for this is that there's 4.3 million cases in the USA each year. And they have a pivotal phase 2 readout coming out soon. Other than that there's a Dupixent PDUFA date in 6 to 11 year olds on May 26th of 2020 so that should be coming up pretty soon and atopic dermatitis is more prevalent in children than adults so if you think about all the revenue that was generated in Dupixent that's only going to increase substantially more if they're able to treat children from ages 6 to 11. The other thing we got to be mindful of is updates on buy specifics and i already talked about that so that's kind of how i see 2020 playing out for the company as we see updates in all of these things they could be a big mover for the stock but i really see more downside than upside when it comes to the readout so what that means is that if the basal cell carcinoma readout comes out negative i see a lot more downside if the result was positive i see upside so for that reason i'm going to stay on the sidelines And the other thing is that there are potentially delays coming in with these trials, and that's due to the COVID-19 situation. And we don't really know how that's going to materially impact Regeneron, but they have mentioned previously that they're going to see some delays in their trials. One of the things that we're going to find out about this is they have their Q1 2020 earnings report on May 5th, so that's coming up very soon, and we should get some insights onto the timeline of some of these readouts. The other thing that I didn't mention is that they have a share repurchase program going on and they've currently gone through $250 million of that program, leaving them another $750 million left. So this, and I've talked about this when it comes to Biogen and other kind of mid large cap companies, that it's a real tailwind for these companies when they're buying back their own stock. And it looks like with this $750 million, they're gonna be able to buy around 2.5 million shares of stock. And this does have a, an effect on boosting the share price. So I do see that as a tailwind for the stock. And like I said, if we see the stock kind of trail down towards the 400s, the low 400s, I'm probably going to be a buyer there. And follow me on Twitter at Matthew Laporte, and you'll find out if I do make that move or not. So the last thing I wanted to touch on related to Regeneron is the goodwill that they're going to get from this COVID-19 response. And I've been seeing this a little bit on Twitter, and it's really hard to measure but biopharma gets a really bad rap in the press as well as from regulators. And the reason for this is that people think that biopharma is really only out for the profits and they don't care about patients. And for this reason, we should highly regulate them, force them to charge the lowest price possible in order to make their treatments available for all patients. Now, of course, the reality is a lot different than that, but given the fact that a lot of these companies are dedicating resources towards treating COVID-19 It kind of like puts them in the good graces of the public as well as regulators. And I think this is only going to be a transient effect. I don't think that when push comes to shove that this is going to materially affect how drug pricing works out in the future. And Trump has talked about regulating biopharma in a more serious way when it comes to drug pricing. But since the COVID-19 situation, we haven't heard a lot of that talk. But I think that, you know, if a Democrat gets elected especially we have a very good chance that the regulators are going to come in and try and force these companies to charge a much lower price than they're charging already. So we'll see how that plays out. But that's the reason why I think a lot of these companies are seeing a higher price right now. And that um, once this honeymoon phase slows down related to COVID, I think we're going to start to see the prices come down. And I think that's true for Gilead as well so that's Regeneron and in the next coming weeks we still have earnings season going on we did have some positive earnings reports from a lot of the tech companies and they seem to be sheltered to some capacity uh, regarding the covid situation but i think that as the story with china develops they're going to have to figure out a way to redevelop their supply chains because i think significant tariffs are probably coming against china and we've heard a little bit about that in the last little while, but it remains to be seen exactly how it's gonna play out. But other than that, we need to you know, anticipate more COVID-19 headlines. There's a readout for Moderna coming out in early June, and we did get an announcement from them saying that they're gonna partner with Lonza to develop the vaccine to more capacity. So I don't really know if this means that they've already seen success in the phase one trial, but we should see a public readout pretty soon. There's also gonna be more treatments and more vaccine readouts coming out. And as that occurs, it might be a tailwind for the stock market since more treatments and more vaccines just means that people can get back to normal. So the last thing is that we've seen a lot of USA states and European countries start to open up to some capacity. And this just increases the chance that we're gonna have another second wave or at least some kind of local cluster increases in different areas. and. I don't know if this is gonna necessarily mean that we close the economy again, but it does mean that we're going to have to live with COVID in some kind of new normal. And what this means is that social distancing is gonna be normal, masks are gonna be normal, and things like that. And if the hospital system does get signs of being overburdened again, I could envision that the states and the countries start to close down, uh, at least to some capacity. And this could have a negative effect on the stock market as well. I think that in the short term, we've seen a bit of a topping right now and that there's going to be a little more downside to go, but you know, it remains to be seen how this is all going to play out. And for me in my portfolio, which I have up right now, I'm at negative 18% year to date. And that's following pretty closely to the Dow Jones, which is not very good. But in my portfolio specifically, we saw a big increase in Axone, like I mentioned, Uh, Regenix Bio pulled back after being at 42, and I was really tempted to sell a bit of it at 42, but I didn't do it, and I still think that Regenix Bio has a lot of potential. And we also saw that Ameren was touching $8 a little bit, so they've seen quite a bit of a bounce off the $4 lows that we saw a little while ago. And it remains to be seen how that whole uh, appeal process is gonna play out, but I'll keep you all posted on that. So like I mentioned, I'm at negative 18%, which is not great but I'm, uh, I'm catching up, that's for sure, and we did see that the NASDAQ 100 finished pretty much flat for the year, so it's a pretty impressive bounce we've seen in the last little while, but I am nervous to think that we're going to see a V-shaped recovery still, so we'll see how it plays out. The volatility kind of stabilized over the last few weeks, and I think that given the close on Friday was so red, we saw kind of a short-term bounce in that, but we'll see how it plays out this week, so... I want to thank everybody so much for the support. Thank you so much for watching. And follow me on Twitter at Matthew Lepore. I do most of my updates on that if I have any. And I appreciate all the support. Click the like or subscribe button. That would help me out. And tell a friend. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up. But we'll see you next time.